Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Lembit Opic on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Good morning, Planet Earth. Welcome to the Lembit Opic show here on the home of free speech where we kill the spin find the facts and let you draw your own opinions we do express opinions too but we separate them from the facts there's no fakery going on here if you want to share your points of view then go to our website uh, at tnt and you can join the chat it's always very lively i do try to share your views with our guests uh, as time allows also you can find the phone numbers if you'd like to call in and express your views as well we are a global reach station so whether you're a night owl in the united states uh, whether you're uh, staying up late in australia or whether you're just getting up in the uk you're most welcome and all points in between as well uh the subjects we discuss are very vague uh in terms of where we uh, place ourselves but very specific in terms of our facts uh if you've got a point of view from south america or the north pole we'd love to hear it from you uh we really are a global reach station coming up today uh, we'll be speaking very shortly to an active politician in london a conservative as it happens uh, about what's going wrong in the greater london assembly why is the mayor sadiq khan who's labor so unpopular will he win again what are the prospects for a change at the top it should be interesting to people anywhere in the world because it's a case study in autocracy in my view at least in a democratic situation uh, we'll also be talking about the environment and so much else besides if something's on your mind then get in touch go to tnt and you're most welcome to share those views with us uh, before we speak to keith prince the conservative politician let me share a couple of stories which are bothering me this morning uh, one of them is the continuing wrangle about whether aid should be sent into gaza uh, or not as you know there's a massive conflict going on uh, between israel and gaza and the collateral collateral damage uh, is the women and children who've been killed and injured and many men as well who have absolutely nothing to do with the combat situation there but they are starving and they're dying. In fact, over 1%, over one in 100 people who live in Gaza have now been killed in this conflict. Israel seems to steadfastly refuse to have a ceasefire, but it's worse than that now. Some countries are refusing to send aid in on the basis that it's helping Hamas, which is the Palestinian militant group, uh, which prompted the beginning of this current episode of trouble. But of course, this goes back much further than that, right back to something called the Balfour uh, Treaty, which is over a century old. So you can point the finger of blame at Palestine. You can point it at Israel. But the people who are suffering are the civilians. How will this end? It's going to end in more death. At the moment, I see no substitute for a ceasefire. Unfortunately, that's not the view of many senior politicians. And indeed, the International Court of Justice stopped short of asking or telling sorry telling uh, israel to stop the aggression they seem quite toothless they're very happy to tell us that there's a climate emergency and wring their hands about carbon dioxide but when it comes to real deaths in a real war the united nations doesn't seem to want to stand up to be counted i wonder what you think about that is it acceptable for the un to sit by and watch literally tens of thousands of people most of whom 
having nothing to do with the combat situation in Gaza at all, fall to their deaths or remain injured, starving and cold. I wonder what you think about that. Is really this what our first world situation has come to? Is this how we resolve disputes? Uh, another issue, and it's an irony, is the fact that a lot of shipping associated with those countries supporting Israel is in danger of attack now. Uh, we discussed yesterday on my show uh, the attack on a British registered tanker. What is it about the West that we don't notice that we create enemies for ourselves, perhaps by being happy to continue thinking that might is right? How does this play out? Do we have to have a massive fleet defending the merchant navy? Or perhaps just for once, we'll learn from the lessons of history and recognize that it's much better for us to engage with people we may not like, but we talk to instead of shoot at. It seems to me that we've learned very little from the last hundred years of war and conflict, uh, where collateral damage can always be counted more in the deaths of civilians than combatants all over the world, from Afghanistan through to Vietnam. And yet the carnage continues. I wonder what will happen if the United States changes its president. Will it also change its approach? Donald Trump said he could uh, fix the problems in Ukraine in 24 hours. He hasn't exactly explained how he would do it. Well, I hope he's right. If he wins, then maybe he can get peace there and around the world. Well, wherever you live, do share your views about the way we seek to resolve our disputes with a gun instead of a debate. Uh, my last uh, thought on this, of course, is that if you have a better solution to war, then share it. Uh, my better solution, of course, is to say that when you kill people, they'll want to kill you back. An eye for an eye was in the Old Testament, but we seem to have resurrected it in how we do our politics around the world. That and any other subject is open for debate here today. Uh, shortly, we're going to talk about London as a test case of what goes wrong when a mayor goes wrong with Keith Prince. All of that right here on The Lemotopic Show on TNT. Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society and I am fed up with it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Keith Prince, welcome to TNT. Uh, welcome to the home of free speech. How are you this morning? Uh, very well. Good morning to you, Lambert. You look great. And uh, you're on the, you've are on been on the campaign trail recently, haven't you? Because you're standing for re-election this May. Yeah, we are. The mayor and the 25 assembly members all come up for election on May the 2nd. Uh, what is your job? Uh, my job primarily is to scrutinise the work of the Mayor of London. There's 25 assembly members. It's quite complicated, so I'll keep it the simple version. It's 25 of us elected at the same time as the Mayor of London, and our job is to sit the Mayor in front of us roughly once a month, uh, sometimes twice, and to scrutinise his work. But we also have committees as well, so we will take deep dives into issues around transport, fire brigade, housing, and so on. Uh, now, you don't actually have, I don't want to be rude about this, but you don't actually have any technical legal authority to tell the mayor what to do, have you? Uh, we don't have any executive power. The, the power that we do have uh, is on the budget, which is coming up. And if two thirds of us vote against the budget, 
then that budget falls. So we can, in theory, block the mayor's budget. It's never happened. It never will happen, but it could. That sounds like a veiled threat, Keith. Uh, only if only if a number of Labour members turn up and vote against the mayor, which is never going to happen. All right. So in, in practice, the mayor is all powerful in London. Well, in my opinion, he is the most powerful politician in the country. Some might say, well, surely that's the prime minister. But if you think about it, the prime minister has to get cabinet approval for what he does. He has to get his own party on side. He has to get legislation through the Lords, back through the Parliament number of sittings, so on and so forth. The Mayor of London can wake up tomorrow, say, I'm going to make the ULES charge £15, £25, whatever figure he wants. Uh, he has to do a 12-week consultation. And as we know, he readily ignores the outcome of those consultations. And then after that 12 weeks, 13 weeks, it becomes into being. I think that's real frightening power, actually. Well, before we actually get into the specific policies, because... I was in central London at a demonstration yesterday about what looks like a very unpopular policy. But before we get into that, why has the system been set up so that, in effect, the mayor of London can do what he wants without uh, you or really anybody else being able to stop him? Well, that, that's a very good question. It was set up under Labour. Uh, they wanted an all-powerful mayor. I don't agree with it. I think that the Assembly should have some powers to control the mayor uh, because he, he doesn't really have to consult with anybody. And I think that's wrong. I think he should have to work with other organisations, other people to actually make sure that what he's doing is in the interest of London. Of course, the Secretary of State and the PM have the power to stop him, but it would be a very poor day if they were to step in because at the end of the day, he does have the biggest mandate of any politician in the country as well. You know, over a million people voted for this mayor. There have been Conservative mayors as well. If you don't like the system, I don't want to blame you for this, Keith, but if you don't like the system, why didn't you change it when you could? Well, the mayor doesn't have the power to change the system. It's the government that have the power to change the system. And I can assure you that we have, the Conservatives on the city, or we have been lobbying the government to make changes but it would take quite a lot of uh, legislation to do it we have only been in existence for 24 years now and uh, i guess people are saying we'll see how it goes but it really hasn't been until this mayor that the weakness of the system has been exposed under ken livingstone who was a labor mayor under boris johnson they all acted reasonably they all took on board the outcomes of consultations <coughs> excuse me and there was no problem. But unfortunately, under this mayor, he's really exposed the weaknesses of the system. Now, we'll talk about some transport policies in the next part of the show. But if I understand this correctly, the mayor of London can have a consultation. The overwhelming majority of people who respond to that consultation can reject a proposal, and then he can go ahead and do it anyway. Is that really the well, case? Well, indeed he can. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he has to give due regard. The legislation says he has to give due regard to the consultation, but it doesn't mean to say he has to actually follow it, as indeed he didn't with the consultation on ULES, when 66% of people very clearly identified that they didn't want the ULES. He tried to fudge, fudge the figures and made it 
56%, but that's still a significant majority of people. And he just went along with ULES expansion anyway. Now, just to explain, the ultra-low emission zone ULES is a tax on people driving into town. And I want to talk about that in a short while and, and the rationale for it. If this is the case, that the mayor can do pretty much whatever he wants, what's the point of your job? Well, our job is to scrutinise the work that he does. And with every other mayor, every other mayor has listened to what we've had to say. Every other mayor has taken on board the suggestions that we do. We can do a much deeper dive into issues, say, if recently we've done a, a report on trams. So we can look at what the future of the trams are, how they're how we can improve them. Uh, we've done an emerging one now. Very shortly, we're going to be releasing one on safety, bus safety. Uh, that will be quite a good report that shows where the weaknesses are between TfL and the bus operating companies and why so many people are being killed and seriously injured on our roads by buses. Buses, that's a bit ironic, considering that we're meant to be shifting according to Mayor Sadiq Khan, to public transport, if the buses are mowing people down, it rather goes against, uh, there was some zero target that they were talking about, uh, zero deaths on the road. <clears throat> do, you think there's, do you think there's any contradiction in what he's doing? <laughs> well, yeah, we do. I mean, Vision Zero says Vision there will death, be zero right. deaths by uh, 2041. Some random figure plucked out the air, but what we can see quite clearly is that none of the interim targets are being hit at all the only thing being hit unfortunately are people on the streets um we need um we need to identify the problems and one of the problems we've identified as a committee is fatigue uh, and i don't think the bus companies are taking this quite seriously enough um and yeah, our report will actually uh, identify these issues and will make suggestions and ways in which things can be improved but it's very very clear that the targets set by tfl for the bus operating companies are all about uh reaching a financial target reaching a time target but there's no target for safety and we think that's wrong and yet we have 20 mile an hour zones i drove into london managing to incur a fine and really not understanding where i'm allowed to drive and where i'm not why this obsession with cutting down the driver? Why is the driver made to be a pariah? Well, as you said, we do have the ULES, which is the ultimate Lembit exclusion zone. <laughs> to keep you out. How mean you are. How you out of you the are. city. But no, I, mean, I, I live in outer London and I drive quite freely around outer London. Uh, I'm always... I always book a chance of getting some fine for something if I dare to go into inner London because the roads are changed all the time. The speed limits change from 30 to 20 to 30, and you really don't know what speed is going and the, the uh, these um, low, low traffic neighbourhoods, they crop up all over the place. Uh, there's school exclusion zones. 
you know, you're very lucky if you can get into the centre of London and out again without being fined for doing something because it changes all the time. There's no consistency. I mean, Park Lane is now 20 miles an hour. Not that long ago, it was 40 miles an hour. I mean, how are people supposed to work this out? In the old days, it was simple. If you had street lights and, and houses, it was 30 miles an hour. You would then have certain dual carriageways that were 40 miles an hour. Then you'd get, go out into the country, and if you're in the proper 60 miles an hour, national speed limit. On motorways, it was either 50 or, or 70, and it's all clearly marked. But now you really haven't got a chance when it comes to And we're having taxi drivers who are losing their jobs now because they're getting fined for doing 24 miles an hour in the 20, 20 limit. They get two of those, they're, they're banned from driving. It's horrendous. Let's come back to that. Uh, transport's not the only issue. And I think, in my view at least, what's happening in London is a salutary warning to the world of what happens when you get a mayor who doesn't care about democracy and doesn't understand basic logic. But hey, maybe that's just me. Uh, we'll come back to you in a minute, uh, Keith. If you've been in London, if you've been fined for driving in the wrong place, if you're a little bit annoyed about the fact that cyclists can do pretty much anything they want and scoot along the pavement, get in touch, go to the TNT site. You can phone in as well. Love to hear your views. And I'll share my experience yesterday with Keith at a demonstration against one of the very things we've been discussing. All of that with me on the Lemidopic Show right here on TNT. TNT's Pella Neuroth taylor we, we need to look, do a lot of deconstruction of these phrases and, and really think about what it means because what does far right mean? I, I'd say that far right means anything that you don't like. And um, it's just a label, a bit like the, the Chinese under Mao, their state press used to call uh, anyone who was an ideological opponent, capitalist pig dogs, whatever. And it was just meant to evoke a response. And it was a signal from the rulers to the rule that this is what you should think without actually having to think. It's, it's, it's a, meant to evoke a sort of Pavlovian reaction that you're a, these are bad guys. And uh, a moderate, in, in, in our lingo, I mean, let's see, it's foreign coverage. The BBC will say the moderate blah, blah, blah party in the third world, meaning, well, they're guys we approve of. And then the extremist is someone we don't approve of. Helen Neuroth Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. It sounds really good. It's it like, sounds real, it's dude. Not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Lemon Opic here right up until midday, if you happen to be in the United Kingdom. Uh, three hours of news and comment where we kill the spin, find the facts and let you make your own opinions uh, with individuals who have strong views, but don't force them down your throat. Today's strong minded individual is Keith Prince, who is a member of the Greater London Assembly. He's a conservative, not too keen on the current Labour mayor. And nor am I. Keith, uh, thanks for being on the show here at TNT. We were talking generally about the strength of uh, the mayor's position in London, uh, essentially unbridled capacity to do what he wants. One of the test cases is the ultra low emission zone, not the ultra Lambert exclusion zone, ultra low emission zone. And uh, this seems to be a rather curious tax on the poor. 
Tell us what it means and why we have it. Well, according to the mayor, we have it because there were a number of polluting vehicles like yours uh, coming into London or already <laughs> in London, and um, they uh, they were harming the people. And we had different phases. So phase one uh, was very much central London. Uh, then he moved it out to the inner ring road, which is the A406, the A205, which covers about about half of London. Uh, and then we have outer London, which goes out roughly to the M25, not exactly, but that's a, a, another ring road that circumnavigates London. Uh, and he, he initially, when I spoke to him about this matter back in uh, 2021, he said that he would not uh, be introducing the expansion of the ULIS out to the M25 uh, he said that in June, and then about a year later, he announced that he would do so. You can't trust the man. But basically, it's about cars that don't meet a certain standard. It's it's quite technical because uh, in in Europe, they set down laws on emission standards, and they had a Euro 6, Euro 4, 5, 3, and uh, the highest number being the most efficient. And um, unfortunately, uh, if you had just bought a new car because under the old government gordon brown encouraged everybody to buy a diesel car like yourself lambert uh, <laughs> but if you didn't buy one with a euro 6 engine in it which was from about roughly 2015 onwards um you now have to pay 12 pounds 50 to enter london now the problem we see here is not so much we wanted to clean up of course we do but even when he said he wasn't going to expand the ULS, he said that expanding it to the outer London wasn't the answer. But the problem here is that it's only those least able to afford the charge that are the people who are really being hit by it. You know, if you're middle class, wealthy, you can buy a new car. But if you're, you know, on the minimum wage and you have to go to work in the evening there there's no night tube no bus service there are fewer far fewer bus services you not only get hit with that 12 pound 50 on your way in if you're doing night work you get hit with that 12 pound 50 out so that's 25 pounds out of you know what wouldn't be a very big pay packet to start with after tax uh and we just feel that there's just no regard for these people and he's supposed to be a socialist you know he's a labor mayor and yet he's not really having any regard to those least able to afford it uh this is the strange thing about it if you can afford an expensive posh car of any capacity a six liter v12 you can afford to pay this so you can pay to pollute and if these emissions are meant to be killing people you can pay to kill people but if you've got an old car like mine, yeah, my 21-year-old Volvo, and you can't afford to replace it, then you get punished. How can anyone think this is logical or fair? Well, it, morally, it isn't, it isn't fair because it, it is a tax. You know, he, he cracks on about giving uh, money to help people. He's, he's now come up with a affairs freeze. Out of, out of nowhere, he's come up with a fair freeze on... Thursday, he denied that there would be a fair freeze. On Friday, he announced it. It's just, it's just crazy. Uh, but that money is far less money he's spending on that than mm -hmm. on, that he's taking away from these people who are unable to afford it. I just, 
just don't see it. It is depressing. When I used to live in central London with the same car that I have now, I could park outside my house for free. I could drive it around for free at 30 miles an hour or 40 down part lane. And I think it was 50 on the road that comes in the A40 to quite close to the center. All that's gone. Now it's guesswork about where you can drive. So you incur the fines you mentioned before. And my car would cost me a fortune every single day if I was to drive in on it. Is there any evidence that lives are being saved uh, from, for example, reduction in pollution? Well, at the moment, the only real evidence is that uh, more uh, children in Lewisham are reporting with cases of asthma since they introduced the low traffic neighbourhoods, which means it forces all the traffic onto the A205 than um, before. So, in fact, the slowing down the traffic, the the reducing the alternative routes available to the traffic is actually causing more pollution and having uh, causing more problems for asthma for young people, and that's got and that is within the ULEZ zone. So, there's no evidence that the ultra low emission zone is creating ultra good health. Uh, it's very hard to link that. Uh, there is there are obviously in the in the London area there is has been a reduction in in uh, particulate matter and NOx. There's been a slight reduction, but as we know, more pollution comes from um, domestic use such as um, gas fired boilers than from transport now. Uh, I did some research into this because of some other work I do. And I discovered that this NOx, nitrogen oxides, this killer NOx, is at its peak when you cook with gas. If you've got the windows shut in the winter, then you saturate your house with NOx. Then I looked at research, which was done in the Netherlands, as it happens, which showed that people who cook with gas don't have more respiratory diseases than people who cook with electric. And then I discovered that if you use the London Underground, you're exposed to between 600 and 3,000% more particulate matter than if you're at street level. So if I yeah. get this right, what Sadiq Khan, <laughs> the mayor of London, is doing is forcing people out of cleaner air into dirtier air. You're right. Has anyone else noticed this? <laughs> Well, you know, we have tried to highlight this, especially the point about the underground, the, the deep tubes, such as the Northern Line, are far more polluting than if you were to stand at the roadside in Oxford Street, for instance. So, yeah, you know, if, if he wants to clean his air act up, then he ought to clean his own act up. Yes, and we can sit here and talk about these things, but coming back to what you said before, he doesn't have to listen, does he? He can actually <laughs> do whatever he wants. Yeah, well, yes, you're you're right, but of course, um, just moving things on a bit. This mayor has obtained a record throughout the history, throughout the existence of local London government. London has never been put into any kind of special measures. The the Met Police has never been put into any kind of special measures. The fire brigade fire brigade has never been put into special measures. City Hall itself has never been put into special measures. Well. He's achieved a hat trick, not 
is not only <laughs> one of those, but all three of those, the Met Police, the Fire Brigade and City Hall itself, have all been put into special measures, uh, which has never happened before uh, under any mayor or any previous administration. And these organisations, well, the Met and the Fire Brigade, over 150 years of history, proud history, all in now, all in special measures. That is some achievement, isn't it? Now, Britain often boasts about being the cradle of democracy, rightly or wrongly, you often hear this. And yet here we have the capital of the United Kingdom, the capital of the great Commonwealth being run by somebody who's got the emergency services into special measures, who's choking people on the London underground, who's taxing the poor by driving old vehicles, and he's likely to get re-elected. Why isn't the Conservative Party, which always comes first or second in the mayoral campaign, why isn't the Conservative Party streaking ahead? Because from the polls, I can see he's still likely to win again, if the polls are right. Uh, that's an interesting point. Uh, as you know, nationwide, uh, the Conservative Party aren't doing particularly well. And I think that's probably an understatement. But in London, we are doing we are doing much better. Uh, in fact, there was a recent by-election in Tower Hamlets, that well-known socialist hotbed, uh, and the Conservatives won a seat there in a, in a local government by-election. So there are indications that uh, London will buck the trend in in regards to elections simply because of the mayor. I mean, I knock on doors. I'm always knocking on doors every week. And um, there are people out there, Labour voters, who absolutely hate Sadiq Khan. Um, which is not the thing that I recommend. You know, we shouldn't hate anybody, but uh, they they really do. And they are saying, well, we'll, we'll never vote Conservative uh, when it comes to general election, but you've got our vote to get this man out, which is quite incredible, really. So I can see, I can see uh, our candidate, Susan Hall, uh, getting across the line and uh, hopefully reversing a lot of the bad that this mayor has done. I've been following the polls on this, and it was quite close six months ago, but maybe it's because of the national situation. But <clears throat> despite the catalogue of incompetence that you've described and many people report to me about Sadiq Khan, the gap seems to have widened between the Conservative candidate and, and Sadiq Khan. Uh, is there a case to say that Reform UK, which is another right-leaning party, and clearly eating into the Conservative vote. Is there a case to say that you should do some kind of a coalition with Reform UK, pool your votes to get Khan out? I think that's going to be very difficult. Uh, I was going to say the Conservative Party not not big on doing coalitions, although we did do one with your old party, of course. <laughs> My old party, yes. And that played out well for the Liberal Democrats, <laughs> yes, which then right. went from 57 seats uh, to eight. Yeah, <laughs> it's a yeah. lesson there. <laughs> I'm arguing against my own question, I know, but <laughs> but, but, yeah. but you could say uh, so. But you're also you're wrong because you do do coalitions. <laughs> well, exactly. So I, I can't actually play that card. Uh, I, I I don't see it. Um, the uh, candidate, the reform candidate, uh, Howard Cox, is a personal friend of mine and and a, a really great guy. Uh, he's making some absolute 
unbelievable promises, but then I guess he's making that on the back of the fact that he probably won't have to deliver them. Uh, I, I, I think really, you know, I think Howard's in it for all the right reasons. Howard wants to stop the ULEs, wants to, you know, get rid of this mayor. But in all reality, if if he really does want to get rid of this mayor, if he really does want to stop ULEs, then his best option would be to step aside so that Susan Hall could have those votes. Because if he doesn't and he t sucks away enough votes from the Conservatives, of course, we will end up with another mayor, another uh, term with Sadiq Khan. And, you know, that is looking as a possibility, not a probability. Uh, but then again, it also depends who else stands. You know, there's rumours that George Galloway might stand. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's on the left wing as well, yeah. Yeah, he's on the left. There's rumours. Yeah, he's on the left. <laughs> definitely on the left. Yeah, um, and uh, there's rumours of others that might um, might stand. So Jeremy Corbyn, for instance, who is on the far left, uh, if they stand, they will definitely suck uh, votes away from Khan. There's also rumours that there'll be a a, a pro-Palestinian candidate stand as well, and that will take some votes away from Khan. So it depends who the other runners and riders are. But to say, if if parties like Reform really want to get rid of Khan, then they need to row in behind us for the mayoralty at the very least. It's obvious that Reform UK could say, if the Conservatives really do want to get rid of Sadiq Khan, they should step aside and let Howard Cox, who's definitely gaining votes, gaining polling support while the Conservatives have been losing it, that the, the, the Conservatives should stand aside for Howard Cox. Yeah, well, I, I think we both know that Howard's going to be very lucky to get between 200 and 300,000 votes. The Conservatives will get between 700 and 900,000 minimum, uh, and then they just need an extra 200 on top of their 900 to take the seat. So I don't, I don't really think you would sensibly argue that someone who's bringing 300,000 votes maximum to the party would uh, have uh, have someone stand aside who's bringing someone who's delivering over 900,000 votes to the party. As, as you're talking about this, you sound depressed. Are you depressed about the political situation in London? Yeah, I wouldn't say I was depressed. Um, I'd like to say I was optimistic. I, I think we have the chance. So Susan is is really working very hard. She's all over London. Uh, she's coming out with better messaging now. Uh, there's funding behind her now. So I think that um, we will, in the next few weeks, start to see her campaign really ramp up. I mean, she had to start from a very low base. Um, and, of course, she's had to fight, if you like, against the national position. But no, I mean, I, was, I saw Susan earlier in the week and uh, she's very bullish. And I really do think, I mean, she she's a, you know, she's a real solid conservative. She's got some great ideas. Unfortunately, she hasn't necessarily shared those all with us at the moment, but she will be very shortly sharing some of her great ideas. And I really think that once her bandwagon gets going, people will coalesce around her. Yeah. Well, I do want to talk in the next part of the show about those problems that are besetting the Conservatives. Uh, obviously, we're both adults. I know that you're supposed to support the Conservative Party. But I do want to ask you about some of the curious things that the Conservatives are doing, uh, which in my view aren't helping at all. For example, this, in my view, rather misguided uh, 
delusion of a climate crisis, uh, which is driving the Conservatives into policy areas that I think have absolutely no benefit to the Tories at all. Uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. What do you think? Uh, very busy on the chat at the moment. Go to TNT and you can add your views in there. Uh, you can also phone up if you want to. The numbers are on our website. Uh, you're listening to Lembitopic. I'm with Keith Prince, uh, a valiant defender of a struggling party, the Conservatives, in the UK and specifically in London. What's it like to live in London? If you're here, let me know on the Lembitopic Show right here on TNT. See you in a minute. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. I was such a young age. Everything changed. My name is Chloe. When I was 13, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. When I found out, I just didn't know how to react. I felt like everything was just kind of closing in on me. It just became a routine. Dad's doing chemo. I'd come home from school, wait for mum to finish work, and we'd go straight to the hospital, spend a few hours there, just draw. It was hard to navigate going to school. Hundreds of kids and I was the only one with a dying dad. He was diagnosed in March and then he died in October. Towards the end, I heard about Canteen. It kind of felt nice to know that they had other people like me. They understood what I was going through and we didn't even have to chat about cancer. In 2020, I became a youth ambassador so I can help others the way they helped me. I've done so many things since I was 13. I've graduated high school, university, gotten my licence, made a move across the country. Life now is just a whole lot more fun. Please give a gift today to support more young people like me experiencing cancer. This is the Limbitopic Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Welcome back to the Limbitopic Show here on TNT, where we dig deep into the subjects which hopefully are of interest uh, globally uh, and of concern in the current situation in London, where I was robbed last Tuesday. Yes, folks, Sadiq Khan, the man who said he'd sought out crime in London, has presided over me being robbed of my phone not once but twice. In a brazen attack last Tuesday, I was sitting in a coffee shop, minding my own business, in a coffee shop, not on the street. Someone came in and stole my phone. And I couldn't chase after the little runt because I had to put my stuff away in case the rest of her gang members came in to steal those as well. Keith, how can we live in a capital city where one kilometer from Westminster, I can get my phone stolen in a commercial premises? What's going on? Well, I mean, that, that, that just sums it up, really. 
as I said, the police are now in special measures. Uh, the crime is as bad as it's ever been. Record crime levels under this under this mayor, absolutely ridiculous. Um, and uh, you know, we have a mayor who really doesn't care. You know, the, the Met Police have said they need another seventy million pounds to uh, continue their reforms. I haven't got the money, says Sadiq Khan. The RMT, which is one of the unions who uh, run the underground, go on strike because they're only getting a 5% pay rise. The day before they uh, go on strike, he magically finds £30 million for them. That, that shows you you've got a mayor who's got all his uh, priorities in the wrong order. The amusing thing about that, if it is amusing, it isn't really, is the fact that because he found thirty million pounds for them, the other unions, the TSSA yeah. and the uh, ASLEF, the other rail unions, are now threatening to strike because they had already agreed on the five percent, and he told them he didn't have any more money, and they went, "Well, fair enough. Then we'll we'll live with five percent." And now they're going, "Well, hang on a minute, you uh, you you said you didn't have no more money, but then when your mates from the RMT cried out, you found something down the back of the sofa, <laughs> but can't find can't find." 70 million pounds for the met which is the organization the met police that keeps everybody safe yeah it, I, it is i actually wrong. i i really dislike going into central london i said on tnt on uh my colleague's show don't come to london for your holidays unless you want to get robbed it's insane it's, it's an embarrassment in my view that the first world capital city of the united the once great empire of the united kingdom is a place where you can't sit in a coffee shop without being robbed. And yesterday, when I was at a demonstration uh, observing opposition to the ultra-low emission zone, which we were discussing before, I saw four men preparing to rob somebody in the street. I could see they were ready to do it. And I said to the police officer, they're about to rob him. And he went, mm, OK, well, why don't you join the police then? That's what he said to me. No, no. <laughs> yeah. He said, why don't you join the police? We need you. Yeah. The police officer said that to me. Just straight at me uh, and wow. i just thought to myself is this really how you treat the public and i just yeah. thought well you should have got you should have got his shoulder number a little bit um we could have yeah, uh, done so. something about that uh and, and but that does sum it up because the the met are at their lowest ever morale they not only is their morale as low as it's ever been their um i was going to say popularity but their acceptance yeah. by the public is the lowest it, it's ever been. Their recruitment, yeah. uh, they're the only force in England. Uh, the government came up with £200 uh, million pounds to uh, recruit more police officers. And um, the Met are the only people, sorry, more than £200 million, pounds, sorry, it was 22, the money to, uh, to recruit 20,000 extra police officers. Um, and the um, the Met is the only police force that's had to return some of that money because they failed to meet those targets of recruiting extra officers. Uh, well, I have to say that I find London to be in a sorry state. Uh, I One reason I moved out was because I just got tired of the endless reek of cannabis in my street in the summer and the danger of being mugged at night. And I didn't want my children to experience that. Uh, maybe I should be a more of an ambassador for people to come to London, but I don't want to be responsible for folks landing at Heathrow Airport, coming to Trafalgar Square and getting mugged in a coffee shop. So work to be done there, uh, officers. 
I want to, I can't let you go without asking you about the slightly tricky subject of the Conservative Party, which isn't doing that well in the polls at the moment. Why is it that Rishi Sunak, who's the current Prime Minister, not popular with some of your own people, I have to say, are calling for him to resign, but he's the current Prime Minister, why is it that he cannot budge the Tories in the polls? So you're trailing by something like 20 or more percent behind the Labour Party and, in my view, the unimpressive Keir Starmer. Yes, I mean, that, that is a, a very good question. Um, I often ask that myself. Uh, I was quite hopeful. <laughs> I was quite hopeful. Yeah, you know, one I, thing I, I like about you is I, I, I admire your disarming honesty. It doesn't feel that you're being disloyal, but it does feel that you're as frustrated as everybody else. <laughs> well, it, it, is, it is difficult to explain, isn't it? I, I thought that, um, to be fair, he dealt quite well with the post office situation. Um you know, giving an immediate grant to those people that have been affected and promising to do more as quickly as possible, because I thought that was another car crash waiting to happen. Um, yeah, just to explain I, I for think, those who don't live in, just to explain for those who don't live in the United Kingdom, it turns out the post office was falsely accusing people of stealing, hundreds of people of stealing, wrecking their reputations, giving them criminal records and getting some of them imprisoned. That's in the United Kingdom, folks. That's what's happened. Incidentally, yeah. I don't know if you've, you've been up to date, but the chairman of the post office has been dismissed. That's in the United Kingdom, folks. That's what's happened. Incidentally, yeah. I don't know if you've, you've been up to date, but the chairman of the post office has been dismissed by Kemi Badnock, the uh, Conservative minister. That's just happened this morning, I think. Right. Well, uh, and it, it was worse than that. Let me, you know, some of these people, it's dreadful. Some of these people actually committed suicide. As a result, and it's now been shown that it was a computer glitch, which the post office denied. Dreadful, dreadful thing. Sorry. So anyway, um, you know, my heart goes out to all those families. It really does. But um, going back to the Conservative Party, you know, I, I think we've been in really tough times. We've had some really tough stuff to deal with, uh, with not least of all the pandemic and so on. I think over the next couple of weeks, you will see um, that policies coming through that will improve our standing i think we've got the we've got the budget coming up and i think that will be a very interesting budget um and as you say i mean labor are not offering any alternative at all uh and, and you know one of the big issues is around local government and i'm a local government councillor as well uh, and funding of local government is not in a good place at the moment but only this week i saw the uh on Sky, the Secretary of State for the Shadow Secretary of State for Education, uh, saying that they Labour are not going to come up with any extra money for local government either. So all the things they criticise us for, they've got no answers either. And I think it's just that we're in a very low point in our, in the electoral cycle, a very low point in the in the economic cycle for this country at the moment. But luckily, as yet, we're still not in recession, uh, and I think that people don't really appreciate what we have had to do to prevent that happening. If Tony Blair, the former Labour Prime Minister who served, uh, led the party to his actually most successful political run in its history, if Tony Blair was in charge of Labour now, there'd be a 50%. It's just amazing to me that with a leader who I regard as weak, Keir Starmer, they're still looking at having a slam dunk majority with the Tories going down to somewhere between 165 seats and some people say 42 but I think it's too too small somewhere between 100 and 170 seats 
it, it must be a cause of concern for you as well, though, because you have to defend your seat in May. Well, of course, it is a cause of concern, but uh, and I think Tony Blair was was an amazing politician in so far as he turned a completely unelectable party, the Labour Party, into one of the most successful parties in its history. But what we also have to remember that after the Blair period, uh, the country went bankrupt, and uh, we've we've actually only really started to recover from that when we got into the the 2020s and unfortunately then we were hit by um, covid which set us back even further and, and people seem to forget that and labor when they always crow on about uh, the conservative party and conservative cuts they were only as a result of the fact that labor left the country bankrupt uh yes and uh there was that famous note there is no money <laughs> written by i think yeah. it was liam Byrne. it was liam Byrne. He... yeah I've, I've got a i've got a picture of that on the fa- on my phone yeah yeah uh, you can understand uh, <laughs> why he wrote it but he'll always be remembered for doing so uh i've got to ask you this question we'll be talking about the environment later on on the show uh try to do that on sundays why is the Conservative Party obsessing about a climate crisis, which, in my my opinion, doesn't exist, and, in my further opinion, doesn't win the Tories any votes anyway, even if it does exist? Uh, it's it's a very good question. Um, unfortunately, more people think it does exist than people like yourself who don't. Uh, but I think you'll you'll accept that uh, there has been some rowing back, um, as you know, last year. Uh, Sunak announced a number of um, areas where we will be rowing back on the targets or the deadlines for achieving, because we are actually probably the foremost country when it comes to dealing with the environment. We we pretty much tick every box. We pretty much hit every target. And we pretty much are the only part, only country doing it. So, And we're not by far the biggest polluters of, of any measure. You've got China, you've got America. Uh, and I think all those countries need to row in and start pulling their weight before we keep sacrificing our lives so much uh, well, when they're not prepared to do so. Well, this is the irony. It seems to me that the government, the Conservative Party's current policies are causing the destruction of the steelworks in, in Wales, where Tata, the company, is basically junking 3,000 jobs because they can't do it anymore with coal, even though the coal is like, in the mountain two kilometers away and you could get it there in a conveyor belt and at the same time we're exporting all of that production and co2 manufacture to china it's a fraud because they probably produce more carbon dioxide than we did so we don't cut co2 which i don't think we need to do anyway we don't cut co2 we just export our manufacturing to a country that we're virtually at war with i just don't understand why the Conservatives think this is a vote winner? Well, you know, I have a lot of sympathy personally. You know, I'm speaking on behalf of the party, but personally, I have a lot of sympathy for what you say. And you know, it is a case that over the decades, recent decades, we have exported a lot of the pollution uh, by having other countries do the manufacturing for us, like China, and, and they don't have the same protocols as we do in, in relation to. Uh, energy efficiency so yeah we have and I, I but even that itself i think is wrong i think we should 
kept more jobs here in the UK. But what we seriously need to do and what, what my party need to do and what whoever comes next after the election, which will be later this year or in the very first month of next year, is to get a grip of our energy situation. Instead of importing energy, as we do a lot, we need to produce our own. We need to get on and build five nuclear plants. We need to get on and sort out if we're going to use renewable energy, then we should get out and sort that. But, you know, I think wind farms and so on and solar panels, they're great, but they, they, they're they not reliable. And we need reliable sources of energy, which does mean it has to be nuclear. And it's quite interesting that the Greens now seem to be on board with that, whereas before they were laying down in front of the bulldozers. Yes, uh, it's a big mess. And meanwhile, uh, in a classic example of international political irony, the Germans have just knocked down a wind farm to open a coal mine. <laughs> it just he couldn't make it up, Keith. My advice, and I'm not here to give you advice. My advice to the Conservatives would be just forget this climate stuff. Just forget it. And just build some coal fire, good old coal fire power stations, save our steel industry. Let us drive our ancient Volvos into London and bring Tadiq Khan to book. And if you can't bring him to book, then do a deal so that all of the votes go against Sadiq Khan go in one direction. But maybe maybe my naivety is why I lost my seat in 2010. Who knows? <laughs> um, what's your prediction for the general election? How honest are you willing to be? Uh, well, depends, doesn't it? I, I think that uh, if we were to go by the current polls, then your guesstimate would be pretty pretty accurate. Uh, however, I do predict that uh, there will be a resurgence of support for the Conservative Party. Um, but whether we can actually win is, is going to be a challenge. But, you know, uh, if we get enough people out there, if, if we come up with the right policies, if we have a very good uh, budget, then uh, and people see through Labour, because they just haven't got anything to offer, then, you know, we might just nick it. But it's going to be... I. I Personally, I predict a hung parliament. Yes, I think that I think it was summed up to me, Keith, when I met a, a fairly senior conservative. I said, "How's it looking for you?" He said, "It's marginal. I've only got a twelve thousand majority," <laughs> and he wasn't <laughs> making a joke. Keith, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks for your candidness. Uh, no doubt, I'll see you again soon. That's Keith Prince, the very honest, in my view, conservative. Uh, Greater London Assembly member, what do you make of what you say? Uh, I haven't got a chance, had a chance to say any, uh, read any of your messages uh, now. I'll do that shortly after the news. If you've got views and comments, then let me know. Coming up next, we've got Anthony Weber, a leading light when it comes to freedom in the United Kingdom. He is worth a tale or two. Uh, all of that to look forward to with me, Lemmed Opic, on the Lemmed Opic show, right here on TNT. I'll see you in a few minutes.